This is Boss Ladies. Hello. I am so excited to share this week's episode. Um, I was lucky enough to interview Lisa Marie Casey. She is a seasoned executive with over 35 years of execution expertise in strategic and management development in the information technology, entrepreneurial slash startup and mid-sized communities space. She is a problem solver, a team builder and collaborator who has a strong reputation for organizational results. And she's an absolute boss lady. And she worked on Wall Street and just has amazing stories to share along with incredible advice. So I'm so excited to bring her on today and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. I am here with Lisa Marie Casey and I am so excited to talk to you about your career and and some fun little topics we have planned. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it, Olivia. Thank you for having me here and thank you for this amazing platform. Thank you. And of course, I am I'm so excited to talk to you. So, why don't you start by telling us, you know, the story of your career journey? Okay. So, I graduated from New York State's University at Albany, which they called SUNY Albany, in 1985 with a Bachelor's of Science in Information Systems. The degree focused on programming skills, software and database design and general business concepts. And we used this was all pre-desktop Unix. This was big old mainframes with batch cards. It was truly um, the old days. Um, I had several opportunities in different (laughs) industries to choose from as I was finishing my senior year. And I was really excited to join a prestigious Wall Street Bank's training program in the summer of 1985. The training program was about 55 to 60 recent graduates, 50% female, and a very welcoming teaching community and environment. Uh, I had a great time. It was a lot of hard work, but it was really, really an awesome way to bring an entire cohort of people. And many of those people I've remained friends with over the years. That's awesome that it was 50% women. Yeah. Yeah. It was considering that it was 1985, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't know all the statistics off the top of my head, but I do know that there was a lot of us um, in the early to mid eighties that were good at computer science and the banks were and wall street in particular. Actually, one of my other job offers was with the submarine people out of Groton. So even the government was doing a lot of uh, advocating and trying to hire. But um, anyway, my first role as a COBOL programmer for the financial group. Um, and I was lucky there in fact that even if the group itself, the, the subject matter wasn't very interesting or COBOL programming to me wasn't very interesting. Um, it was with a leader who was very skilled at managing young people. And the group was predominantly under 30. And I think as an initial project and role, it was a very good one. I recognized early that I preferred and loved problem solving and the conceptual design of software to solve business needs more than the programming and looked for every opportunity to sort of function what we call then as a business analyst. At the three-year mark, I left the Wall Street firm to spend six years in systems integration consulting organizations. These were very big projects that were uh, international in nature in many cases, putting in together very large, um, both software and hardware systems. One of them was a, the 9-11 system that went into New York in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a brand oh, wow. new type of 9-11 system. I learned and honed my client management and project management and sales sort of account management capabilities. And I was really afforded so many wonderful opportunities, had some really amazing um, managers and colleagues there. 
During that six years, I also completed my MBA at NYU Stern on a very slow part-time basis, but I did graduate, um, which was really great and enjoyed my time at NYU Stern. In 1994, I went back to the same Wall Street firm as a multi-project manager for client applications in the markets group, and over time progressed to becoming the chief technology officer for the financial division. While I was the CTO of the financial division, I was promoted to managing director. There were only about 55 female MDs, which I believe, but I can't recall in detail, I think that was about 10% of the total MD population at this point. And the senior ones were very good at mentoring and watching over the group. It was very much a culture of making sure that those of us that had gotten promoted um, were being taken care of. And with the help of another female MD, I started an internal group that focused on women in IT, as I believe we wanted to, we needed to continue to grow and nurture more women in this career path. My last several years at the firm, I focused more on entrepreneurship, creating new business or innovative strategies within the firm to broaden our capabilities or revenue. And one of these was a successful investment banking group called eSolutions. It was sort of the marriage of investment banking and technology. After 16 years, by 2001, I needed to change how I was balancing all aspects of my life. I had a three and a two-year-old by then. And I wanted to be very intentional and own any new roles. I wanted to create the next version of me without corporate restrictions and with a full embrace of being a mom and a woman in business. And so the very first focus that I had that I began working on when I was still at the firm was on women and investing. And I collaborated with one of my closest colleagues to create the framework for an organization called Golden Siege which still exists today. And it was a women-focused angel investing community. And we were, we, we felt, cool. yeah, it was really, and everyone should look them up. They're an amazing uh, uh, organization. They have branches and groups in many different cities across the country. Um, and they are continue to be run by an incredible group of women. And the whole idea originally was that all the investors were women and all of the companies we invested in were women. Um, only. Um, and we wanted to provide the infrastructure and the finances um, to help make women entrepreneurs successful. So that was the very first thing that I did after I left. And so for the last 20 years, basically, I've had the privilege to dip in and out of new experiences and projects while also spending immersive time as a mom. The arc of these 20 years has always focused on championing and aiding in a women-owned or led enterprise. I mentioned Golden Seeds. I also taught math at a female-only Catholic school that focused on an underprivileged cohort. I've been an angel investor in only female firms. I've strategically advised several women-led firms, and most recently was a biotech startup co-founder with another woman, a brilliant, brilliant scientist with a novel breakthrough invention for cancer. Wow. So that's my summary. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's an amazing summary. And not only are you a boss lady, but it sounds like you've worked on a lot of different, you know, sort of efforts and programs to help support boss ladies, which I think is is amazing. I Well, I appreciate being called a boss lady. I, I think that uh, I think that I was very fortunate to um, enjoy and love what I was doing and sort of embrace it. And then I had some amazing male and female managers and mentors that sort of help shape how I developed. And part of that, how I developed became also being very focused on wanting. And I don't actually think the term give back is quite the right term, but that's the only one I can think of right now. But I think of it as being 
focused on how do you help or make sure that there are more successful boss ladies. Uh, that's amazing. And, you know, we, we need more women supporting women so that, you know, there are more of us out there in the working world and we don't have to worry about things like the she session and, and the things you sort of read about, about women exiting the workplace. So I think that's phenomenal. Um, you know, what, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience was like working in finance and, and did you experience or witness any harassment? I feel like there's a lot of sort of stereotypes or connotations around working in finance. That's a good question. Yeah. Wall, Wall Street, certainly in the 80s, um, if not before the 80s, um, had um, some well-deserved bad reputations. Um, <laughs> and I think collectively, there were some firms more than others that allowed for this bad behavior. Um, mm-hmm. I never felt explicitly harassed or discriminated against. There were episodes, and I can tell a few stories of specific behavior that was not systemic in my opinion. It was just that one individual. Mm -hmm. And I decided very early to always sort of advocate for myself. Um, And it was never an outright, uh, you know, groping or outright innuendo or that kind of thing. It was always just these subtle Right. One of my favorite stories is after my daughter Lucy was born, I was working um, for this one individual who, and I was in, responsible for a team that had a London group. And so I used to come in by five or 5.30 in the morning, uh, New York time, so that I could spend time with the London group. And then I would leave work by four or five o'clock because I had a small baby at home and had to get to the nanny. And my husband Andy and I sort of traded, right? He'd stay a little bit later in the morning, I'd leave early. Anyway, this one boss who was, you know, he was a good enough guy, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he he used to love to check on people. Were you still at the office? Were you still working hard? And so he came by and he put a stick it, stick him, sticky on my computer. Uh, and it said, uh, 6 p.m., I was here you know, with, his, <laughs> with his initials. And I get in at 5 a.m. I'm like, what the, right? So yeah. <laughs> I go up to his office with a sticky and his sticky and put it back on at 5.30 a.m. I was here. With my <laughs> and so That's hysterical. I, you know, yeah, what he did was really inappropriate, right? Because it shouldn't be about FaceTime. It should be about the work you were doing. How did he not know I wasn't home doing work? I mean, what? That's just yeah. uncool behavior. Also, especially now in like, I wonder, you know, whoever this person is, what they're thinking now in this world where so much of our work is now remote or hybrid. That's just so, yeah, so but much remember, more normal. Remember, this is 1998 yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he's, he's probably retired. <laughs> Fair. Anyway, the point is that I figured, I thought, and I have another story to tell you too. I thought it was really important to stand your ground, to be direct, mm-hmm. to not be rude. He was your boss. Um, mm-hmm. but to not to quiver in the corner and feel admonished nor necessarily go running to HR because you think you're being discriminated against because it's subtle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very subtle, but I believed that being, being, you know, pushing back. And so another one that was a little more unsettling and I probably spent more time being upset about it was when I was pregnant with my son, Henry. And um, I also had a new boss and uh, he and I did not see eye to eye. And that was totally fine. I don't 
I don't think you have to like everybody. And <laughs> he was a brilliant guy. And we just were never going to be, it was never going to be what it is. And a lot of times when people take over a new group, they want their own people. I get that too. And I got all that. But there was all this whispering going on that I was going to get replaced. And I was like, oh man, I'm having my second baby in 19 months, which is already, you know, difficult. Yeah. And, um, and now I got to worry about my job, right? So I coached myself and talked to a, a, a mentor who didn't work for the firm and came up with a sort of approach and a script and asked to see him and went in. And I, <laughs> I must admit, I wore my tightest maternity dress so that the, <laughs> the belly was just like in his face. <laughs> and, um, That's amazing. You know, waddled in at eight months pregnant and <laughs> sat down totally my girlfriend told me, you got to own this. You got to own mm -hmm. this, right? And sat down and said, yeah, no, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I basically said, you know, we don't get along. You don't like me, but you have to let me go out on maternity leave with this role and this job. And I promise you that when I get back, I will search for something else quickly and you can put in place who you want, but you cannot push out a pregnant woman from her role. It doesn't look good. And I will make a scene if you do. And <laughs> that's incredible. He, he was to his credit, he was like I think he liked me more, you know? <laughs> that's <laughs> you know? amazing. You know, I think he was like, "Oh, okay. Can't push her around." You know? Yeah. So, um I think that and none of it was said rudely. None of mm -hmm. it was said, I mean, I was certainly nervous, but there was no tears. There was no mm -hmm. trembling voice. It was just like, hey, you know, we don't like each other, but you are not going to do the wrong thing here. Because <laughs> guess yeah. what? I'm hugely pregnant. That's that's not a good look for you. <laughs> so That's so funny. So I think that, uh, so there were probably others. I, I remember mm -hmm. this one woman, I was, she was in tears. She had gone onto the trading floor in a purple dress. And the guys started singing, the traders started singing the theme song of to Barney. You know, that little kid show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking, and we, the rest of us were just like, oh my God. And so she burst out in tears and ran off the trading. Floor. I mean, that is discrimination. That yeah. is subtle harassment. That is hazing. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on it now, 25 years later, I know, and I've talked to other women in my cohort it's probable that we should have done more, that we shouldn't have just, you know, rolled our eyes and said, you guys Love are assholes. Right. You know? Um, yeah. But it wasn't an easy place to do that. And I hope that the women who were really mistreated did go to HR and did that. The rest mm -hmm. of us sort of either gave back as good as we got or just mm -hmm. rolled our eyes and said, you're an idiot. And and yeah. and moved on. And I, I don't know, I, playing Monday morning quarterback, I'm glad that there are women now who would never put up with that. Um, but I do think that each generation has its culture. Mm -hmm. And since the 80s and 90s were just the next generation after women even showing up in the workforce, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I don't want to give myself a pass, but I also think it was a different time. You know, I, I'm curious if you feel like it was like the Me Too movement was sort of the defining time at which this started to get better, or if you noticed just subtly over time, maybe some of this stuff stopped happening well, or I don't, was talked you know, about I, more. 
Right. I think since I left Wall Street in 2000, late 2001, I'm not sure. And I left corporate life. I, mm-hmm. I can't really speak to corporate life as whether it was better before Me Too or not. I think that what I always noticed and I always experienced in the firms that I worked for corporate wise, that every opportunity was given to me as a woman. I was never, ever discriminated against and I was never asked for uh, favors or uh, other site, other such behavior to um, get ahead. That mm-hmm. never happened in any of the firms that I worked for. What I mean by, and so hashtag me too has always struck me as being about that mm-hmm. in the broadest sense. But in terms of feeling um, marginalized or feeling discriminated against, it, it it was never easy to be a mother in those environments. And mm-hmm. so that I don't know if that's changed. Um, but I certainly think that there was there was a huge drop off in the amount of women who stayed after one or two or several children because it just became too difficult because the culture and the systems that exist in corporate America, at least up to when I was there, have been difficult. In all of my entrepreneurial work in the last 20 years, I've always tried to focus on making sure that the firms that I work with, either co-founded or, or invest in, mm-hmm. are you know very good about allowing for a balance and a work-life balance. Yeah. I'm curious if, you know, given there weren't that many women sort of as you moved up within your time at Wall, on Wall Street, you know, did you find that the few women that were around you, were they supportive? I know you talked a little bit to me before we got on this call about, you know, the tribes and, and sort of how tribes actually were, were very supportive and helpful groups. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Right. Um, I, I think that the the idea of being supportive or the idea of a, of having a, a, a sort of tribe for a second is is important one to this because I think that in the 90s, late 90s when I had Lucy and Henry, my children, um, they were not they most of the very, very it's more senior women than myself were either non-moms or they made choices that they were not active caregivers. And the good news is, is that no one judged each other. I never felt judged mm-hmm. by um, choosing to leave because I wanted a better balance. I don't think I noticed anyone judging them because they weren't the primary caregiver. But there was always the most senior women, you know, st- worked the same hours as the men. There were no mm-hmm. workload balance type thing. And I think that what and part of that gets to the idea what I mentioned to you before about tribes is that people hang with the people they're comfortable with. And so most of the men in the organization, you know, they're just hanging out with the men that they're working with. And, mm-hmm. and so it's not that they're just feel discriminatory against a working mom. It's just, they don't, it's not their comfort zone. Um, and so I think that the changes that I hope have occurred have been about what does that roadmap of success um, look like? Because it's totally natural for people to hang out with the people that they are comfortable with, that they've grown up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, you know, it doesn't have to be about gender. It could be about race. It could be about religion. It could be about all kinds of different things that we grapple with in our world today. Um, but I noticed that the most difficult conversations were with men and women who weren't good about bridging, who were judging 
a performance or judging a person mm -hmm. based on their own tribe and their own roadmap of success and not thinking about what was that person's roadmap of success. And the more I found my own voice and the more senior that I got, the more I tried to work with my teams. I tended to have mostly female teams, but I occasionally had men on my team. And I always tried to work with them to make sure that they were able to listen without feeling judged. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's interesting. I feel like nowadays when you think about hiring, there's something that gets talked about a lot of the concept of a culture fit versus a culture ad and trying to shift right. the focus to getting more of the culture ad because historically for so long we focused on the culture fit who's going to fit into our tribe who's like us um, and I think it's cool to see that that's sort of transitioning of like hey maybe we'll actually be more successful if we bring people in who are not like us right. and have different perspectives and I've noticed in the entrepreneur with the entrepreneurial worlds I've been working in um, and certainly the last six with the biotech we my co-founder and I tried really hard. We were actually always had the predilection to hiring women again. Mm -hmm. um, and we really tried hard to think about, you know, not making it a, you know, culture fit, you know, mm -hmm. making it about adding other people who had a different point of view, who had been in science in a different way, who had done other d different types of startups. I think that's, it is important. And I think it's the only way we really solve a lot of these workplace issues is people, you know, sort of feeling more comfortable being in a group of, that they're not necessarily used to. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in like the tech and entrepreneurial space, like making sure that, you know, if you're going to be building products that you want everyone to use, then wouldn't it be most helpful if you have everyone's perspective in building them? And that's what's so, so great about the voices. What I notice now is someone who watches the environments as opposed to being in them in the tech world. What strikes me is that there are a lot more very open, louder voices from different mm -hmm. points of view that allow for, hopefully allow for better products and better services. I want to jump topics a bit. You know, you've talked a little bit about mentors and you've said to me in the past that you can really find mentors everywhere, including from negative experiences, which might sound <laughs> surprising to people. Can you elaborate a bit on what you mean by that? Well, so what I mean by mentors across the board is that I have had, like my sister, Jennifer, is an incredible mentor uh, because she's an opera singer and she has spent the last 30 years working really hard in an industry I know nothing about, mm -hmm. but her telling her stories about her auditions and about her performances, you learn something from that. You know, you, you hear something from that. I feel like when I moved to Brooklyn Heights and met a lot of really amazing um, moms who had been at home with their children longer than I was about to start embarking on as a primary caregiver. I learned a lot from them, not just about, you know, how to be a good stay-at-home mom per se, per se, but how do you, how do you make the choices that make you happy? And so one of the things about mentorship that I feel is very important is watching and listening to all different types of people in all different ways. Actually, my children going through high school, living in New York and being competitive uh, squash players, that that was a form of mentorship um, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, looking at what takes, what resilience it takes to go out there and put yourself out there in an athletic capacity. But what I meant, the other part of what I meant about 
formal mentorship or formal mm-hmm. bosses is that I always, in keeping like with the two stories I already told about two men that were not very good bosses, um, <laughs> is that sometimes you can learn a lot by either a bad experience like that or even by a mentor who isn't really understanding what's important to you. But in their talking to you, you can learn from what you don't like, mm-hmm. right? Or what you don't think is a good approach. And there were two different, not the same two, but there were two different. One was a woman and one was a man. Uh, one was a boss and one was truly a mentor. She was senior managing director to me. And they were just, I don't know, they were just not, they were corporate climbers without, in my opinion, the, um, the breadth and depth that made them, they played corporate games, they mm-hmm. played politics, and there's always a certain amount of that you have to put up with. But I thought that that they, in their behavior, I learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have one woman, and she was the one that I formed Golden Seeds with, who was truly an amazing, started out as a mentorship, where she... Um, she used to talk to groups of us um, who were younger about what she thought were was important and what she thought was the way that we should conduct ourselves. And one of her biggest issues was about pay mm-hmm. um, and equal pay. And she had this whole, and she was Australian. She had this great, I used to think she looked like Olivia Newton-John. Um, <laughs> she had this great accent um, that talked about tree huggers mm-hmm. and that women were tree huggers and that we didn't know how to ask for money. And she put us all on the spot and said, when's the last time you asked for an interim performance review or you asked mm-hmm. for a, uh, a raise or you did a mark to market to see what you were worth and, and put us on the spot in the room. And so at that time I had this one team that was all women. And so I turned around and did the same thing to them and let, let, we always had the same bonus day every year where mm-hmm. you wake up in the morning feeling sick to your stomach as, as to whether you were going to get paid appropriately And um, (laughs) I said nothing the whole day, sat in my office and waited for one of them. There was five of them, waited for one of them to walk in and demand to know what kind of money they were getting. And it's finally by four o'clock, I couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) I called them all in. I'm like, you, you know, I'm like, you're (laughs) all tree huggers. (laughs) um, That's hilarious. So uh, I don't know where I'm going with your question about mentorship at this point, but I guess my 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 net uh, recommendation is that mentors come in all different forms and all different ways and listening and a good girlfriend, a good boyfriend or partner are all people that you can learn from. And then you yeah. can practice on. I mean, I was always really good at calling someone saying, okay, I need to do this and I need to practice. Mm-hmm. Can you listen to me and play devil's advocate? <laughs> So as a boss lady, I'm hoping you can share some of your superpowers with us and any advice you have for boss ladies that are looking to elevate their careers. Okay. That's a, that's a good one. I will, um, (laughs) you always ask good questions. Um, so what I mean by superpower is, um, and make sure it's the same thing that you mean, um, is that I think everyone is born with an innate ability and set of core strengths. Um, and sometimes those core strengths make you create some weaknesses, but usually 
They are the bedrock of how you progress. And my superpower, I believe, since a very early age, at least my family and my siblings and my parents would probably agree, is that I was relentless. I was fearless. I was very direct. I always was very organized, like I could see a mess or chaos and try to focus it and organize it. And mm-hmm. But one of the early problems with that type of superpower is that sometimes you need to learn how to be effective with your voice because you're always using your voice, mm-hmm. right? When you're a direct person and rather fearless, you always think that everything you have to say is important. <laughs> and, uh, and I always thought everything I had to say was really important. I feel you. That's why I have a podcast, you know? <laughs> And I was always right. I mean, wasn't I always right? And and, uh, I'm sure. uh, And so I had, and this was in the systems integration consulting firms I worked for. I had two different bosses, one in each firm, male bosses, who were amazing at teaching me how to be more effective with my strength, how to... Mm -hmm listen to feedback better, how to um, harness my voice in a way that allowed other people their voices, because I probably wasn't as good about that as I should Mm -hmm. have been. And, um, oh, here's a funny and embarrassing story that actually was at the Wall Street firm. So in the first year to year and a half, when I was in the financial group as a COBOL programmer, I was invited to this meeting with a bunch of more senior people. And one of the senior guys was a really, really big jerk. And he (laughs) was belittling my teammate and myself on something. And I didn't take it and said something that I shouldn't have said. And (laughs) he got really pissed off, of course, because I was being insubordinate. And my boss at the time was this woman who was a really quiet person. And after the meeting was over, or I caused the meeting to be over, she, she took me for a walk. And we, we worked downtown, way downtown. And she took me down to the end of the Barry Park Park there near the ferry. And she said, you know, I should probably fire you. They may ask me to fire you, right? And I'm going to lobby for you because you are actually right. He is ridiculous human being. Um, (laughs) um, And he should not have been talking to anyone like that. But I want you to understand that just because you're right doesn't mean that you're allowed to say what you want to say at this particular Mm -hmm. point. And she said, you are, you know, so good at what you want to say and to do. And you're only, I think I was 23 or 24 years old, but you have to think of the bigger picture. You have Mm -hmm. to think not just of yourself and feeling indignant at his behavior. You have to think of the broader team Mm -hmm. and how to to be effective. So that was was one sort of taming of my superpower. That's a great lesson. It was a great lesson. And I, of course, was sobbing as we were walking and went (laughs) went home. I'm going to get fired. And and it's just (laughs) a mess. Um, But it was an important really important lesson. And she, her name was Joanne, but she was so good to me. She didn't have to do that. And you um, didn't get fired, right? And I did not get fired. Another good story was, uh, this is, and this is, this is important for people who want to be good mentors and bosses, I think, not just about my superpowers at this point, but um, I had another boss who thought that my 
leadership and energy was the right was the right level for certain types of projects, mm-hmm. but that I needed to be better at um, finessing people who were struggling. And I don't I don't remember if I was hard on them, hard on them. I was never rude. I was never a rude person. I was just very like you know that's not working. Um, <laughs> direct, <laughs> direct, <laughs> exactly. And he gave me. We had a new project started and was with a Japanese trading firm. And I was going to be traveling back and forth between New York and Japan. This was the early 90s. And he gave me a long velvet opera glove. Came into my office or my little cubicle and handed me this opera glove. And he said, you need to learn how to advocate for your team with a velvet glove. (laughs) Because you, you can't take away someone's agency. Right. As a boss, if you as a boss lady, if you take away somebody's agency, then you're really not helping them. Mm-hmm. And that was like amazing because he talk about he understood who I was mm-hmm. and was trying to find a way to teach me and make it funny. And then the other male boss that I had was in the, was in the, a different farm who knew that my relentlessness to be good at my job was also causing me to sometimes have an issue with being perfect, perfection. Mm-hmm. And I had a big failure of a project. The client was furious. The system didn't go live properly. It was just a shit show. And um, it was all on me because I was the leader. And he use that opportunity to talk about the monkey on your back. When you're worried about being perfect and you're worried about failing, mm-hmm. sometimes you make bigger mistakes. And he wanted me to learn from that experience that the monkey on your back um, doesn't serve you well. So um, all of those analogies or stories, I, I mean to tie back to the idea that when you are learning what you're good at, surrounding yourself with people who can help you um, be better at what you're good at is important. And also to learn how to be better at what you're not good at and mm-hmm. who are willing to point it out to you in a, in a caring way that gives you your agency and your power without making you feel bad about it. I never felt humiliated well, I'm not easily humiliated, but um, I'm also, I'm also, I never, I, I was lucky that I never worked for someone who was the type who would try to tear you down. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, to your earlier point, all these stories sort of summarize what you said about how you have so many mentors in every situation you're in that are constantly teaching you things. And whether it's a negative experience or a positive experience, you can choose what you want to learn from that and whether that's right. something you want to mimic or if that's something you never want to do because you've seen how horrible it is. So right. Right. it kind of sums up what you were saying. Um, exactly. My last question for you is what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? So I have listened to all your podcasts because <laughs> you. you are you are awesome. Uh, I think I told you Thank before you. that I, uh, I listen to them when I'm biking or gardening or whatever. And so I knew this question was coming. And <laughs> I actually, when I was thinking about it, uh, I actually thought at first, like, oh, this is going to sound like an obituary. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because if you've been working 35 years, um, 
uh, <laughs> trying to find the best accomplishment or the most important accomplishment is hard. So I think what I'd like to say is that it's really about the journey. And my best accomplishment was that I was open to having a good journey, to loving my work, to loving being a mom, to loving being a good girlfriend to my friends, to being a good wife, to being a good sister, that I, my biggest accomplishment, which isn't over yet, is learning how to, is, was learning how to enjoy what I was doing in the moment that I was doing it. So that what I was doing was my favorite thing at that time. I think that it's, uh, it's has served me well and I, has allowed me to be good at a lot of different things, um, but also not be regretful that I uh, didn't do something else. That is an incredible answer and note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on Boss Ladies. Oh, thank you, Olivia. This has been awesome. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm -hmm.